Hey, I'm Michael Wood, lead pastor at First West. Thank you so much for joining us today. Here in just a second, we're gonna dive into God's word and to see what it says about who he is, about who we are, and about the hope that can be found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that today God's word will encourage you, it'll challenge you, and it'll allow you to see that no matter where we find ourselves, there's always hope because of Jesus Christ. So let's dig in and see what God has for us today in his word. So recently, school started back, right? And if you're a young parent in here, young family, grandparent, maybe you feel that, the, the rhythm of school starting back. And so I have two kids who started in first grade this year. And uh, one of the first things they learned in this school year was this idea of short stories or fables. And so they come home every day telling us about these fables, about these short stories. And uh, th- th- they, they'll tell us different ones that we need to learn about. And so I asked our kids, like, hey, what is uh, one of your favorite short stories or fables you've learned? And they told me about the boy who cried wolf. How many of y'all heard of the boy who cried wolf before? There we go. I guess we learned it in first grade. I'm not sure where I learned it, but I guess that's where I got it from in first grade. And they told me, you know, my, my kid's so serious is like, they're looking at us and they're like, yeah, he told them that there was a wolf, but there wasn't a wolf, right? And they're like so serious about this, that this kid who's lying, it's not good to lie. And then my, my daughter looks at me, but then when there was a wolf, no one helped him because he was a liar, right? And he's just like, she's telling me this story about the boy who cried wolf and they're so, they're so engaged of what's happening. So I asked my kids, we were walking to school the other morning. I said, so what is a fable? Like, what is a short story that you're learning? What's one of these fables that you're learning? And they said, they both repeated it. I guess their teacher had to memorize it. It's a short story that teaches a lesson. It's a short story that teaches a lesson. It's a cautionary tale for them, right? It's a warning that, hey, this boy who cried wolf, he kept saying wolf. Hey, there's a wolf, and then, but there wasn't one. So eventually when he needed help from the wolf, no one was there to help because he constantly lied. So it was a warning to the kids in that class of, hey, don't cry wolf, don't be a liar. Today in 1 Corinthians, where we open our Bibles, we're going to see that Paul gives the church a warning, and a really important warning. So if you remember where we've been so far, we've been walking through 1 Corinthians, but in chapters 8 through 10, they kind of have the same overall theme in them, and it's the idea of spiritual freedom or spiritual liberty. And in chapter 8, they had asked Paul the question about what to do about food sacrifice to idols, and should they partake in eating that food. And so Paul talked to them, yes, you have freedom, but we should lay down our rights. We should lay down our freedom for the sake of our weaker brother or sister. We should be willing to lay down our freedom at any cost to to help our brother and sister uh, grow in maturity. And so we should always ask the question, you know, there's not always a verse, Michael, uh, Pastor Michael taught us, there's not always a verse that we can turn into in here and say, okay, the Bible says this, but we should often ask ourselves the question, how will it affect my brother or sister? as we're navigating the situations of life. And then we turn to chapter 9, and we see uh, that Paul gave a personal example of his life, of how he had laid down his own right and freedom of accepting compensation for sake of the gospel for the church in Corinth. And said, hey, look, I have every right to, to, to get paid to do what I'm doing for this church, but yet I lay down that right because I don't want anything to distract from the gospel. And then I love, as he kind of went from that place, he, he began to write about how much he loves the gospel. And you can kind of see how Paul's thinking. And he goes off into... How, how he is called to preach the gospel and how he doesn't want anything to get in the way. And he'll become all things to all people and that he, doesn't, he wants to run the race well. He doesn't want to be like a boxer just swinging at the air, but he wants to be disciplined in his race so that he will not be disqualified from doing what he has been called to do. 
And this is where Paul's led us to in chapter 10, as we're in chapter 10 today. And he gives us a warning to be wise with our Christian freedom. He's going to continue the same idea, same idea of Christian freedom we saw in 8 and 9, but with a different example, a warning um, from history that they could look back on. And he's going to warn those that are strong in their, fr- their faith not to grow overconfident and misuse the freedom that's been given to them by Jesus. And so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, reading verses 1 through 13. I ask that you would stand in the honor of reading of God's Word this morning as we read the first 13 verses of chapter 10. It says this, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them, since they were all struck down in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, so that we will not desire evil things as they did. Do not become idolaters as some of them were. For it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to party. Let us not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in a single day, 23,000 people died. Let us not test Christ as some of them did and were destroyed by snakes. And don't complain as some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. These things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages have come. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, and with the temptation he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we love you, and God, we thank you for this morning to gather together as brothers and sisters. God, as we open your word into 1 Corinthians, God, will we heed this warning that Paul is giving to the church in Corinth? Will we not squander our liberty, but God, will we steward it well? Will we have faithful hearts? Will we use our freedom for the sake of the gospel? God, as we, are, as we hear the teaching of your word today, would all of our hearts be transformed? And God, when we walked out of this room, would we look more like you than when we walked into it today? In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So the text today, our scripture today, is a warning. I want you to hear that. And maybe it even has that in your Bible with a little header up, up top. It is a warning to the church. Paul's writing this warning to the church, and it's a warning to us today. Again, remind you that there's this overarching theme and idea of Christian freedom and liberty. And yes, he's telling them, yes, you do have freedom, but yes, you should yield that freedom for the sake of your younger, uh, your weaker brother or sister. And so then Paul, to, to help tease this idea out, to help them understand it, he goes back to an illustration that they would be familiar with. And he goes back to the Israelites. He goes back to the Old Testament. He goes back to the Exodus generation and begins to give them examples uh, of how they, didn't, how they abused the freedom that they were given by God as his special people. See, it's a warning to the church in Corinth and it's a warning to us today. And that warning today is our main idea. We've summarized it like this. You'll see it on the screens. I would encourage you to write this down if you're taking notes. Our main idea that I want you to remember is freedom with an unhealthy heart bears significant consequences. Freedom with an unhealthy heart bear significant consequences. While you got your pen out and while you're writing that note, I I would encourage you today in this message, what you're going to see is you're going to see privileges, you're going to see problems, and you're going to see promises. 
You're going to see privileges, problems, and promises. Okay, so let's dive into this text and see what I'm talking about here. The first verse, it said, Now I do not want you to be unaware, brothers or sisters. So this text starts with, hey, look, look, he's writing again. Hey, I don't want you to be unaware of what I'm talking about. In the King James, if you have that in front of you, it says, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant to what I'm about to tell you. And what I love about Paul, he uses this term a few times in his writing. Hey, I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be ignorant. And he always uses it in an area which the church is usually the most ignorant in, right? He's stepping into an area of confusion to say, hey, I get there's some confusion here. I'm going to step in here as someone who has wisdom and inspired by the Holy Spirit and help you understand what you're supposed to do and what's going on here. And so they say, hey, I don't want you to be unaware. I don't want you to be ignorant of what's happening. So the first point when he's saying, hey, look, I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be unaware. The first point we're going to see today is the privileges of belonging to God. Say privilege. The privileges of belonging to God. We see this in verses one through four in this text. And I just want to say, as I say the privileges of belonging to God, if you're a believer in here, it is good to belong to God, isn't it? Amen, right? It is good to belong to God. And there are privileges that come with belonging to God. And before us, the Israelites, God's chosen people, chosen by him to, to declare his greatness among the nations. There was privileges to them for belonging to God. And so we're going to see what those are here in these first four verses. Look at them with me. It says, now I do not want you to be unaware, brothers or sisters, that our ancestors, he's talking about the Israelites right here, our ancestors were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So like I've mentioned already, he's going back to the Exodus generation of the Israelites here. And let me remind you as we walk through this, God had just freed them from slavery. If you don't know the story that the Israelites were God's people and they had been taken into slavery in Egypt. And they were held captive and they wanted their freedom. They longed for freedom. And so God, through Moses, brought them their freedom, okay? And so they step out and it tells us here that they received privileges because of this freedom that they received. The first privilege they got was direction. Direction. We see it says that there was a cloud. You see that it says they were all under the cloud. It tells us as they were wandering through the wilderness that there was a cloud that was over them. And this cloud, first of all, it, it was direction for them. It showed them the way to go. It also says at nighttime there's a pillar of fire by night that led them around. This was for protection and the heat in the wilderness, but it was also for direction for them. And so we see this privilege of direction and covering in their life. So that's the first privilege the Israelites had. They had direction from the cloud. They also had protection. It says you were under a cloud, you all passed through the sea. When they were leaving Egypt, they were freed because of the plagues that had happened. And Pharaoh says, hey, yes, you can go with your people. And so Moses begins to lead the people. And then the Egyptians say, hey, no, we want them back. They don't need to leave. And so they begin to pursue them. And so as they're pursuing them, they come up against the Red Sea. And maybe you've heard this story before. It's a famous one. And the Red Sea parts and the Israelites pass through and on dry land. But then as the Egyptians go to pass through, it closes in and they are free. And so they passed through the sea. Man, this is a miraculous freedom and privilege that they were been given. And, and there's beautiful imagery here we see in verse 2. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So like believers today, man, we saw baptism this morning. We celebrate baptism as the sign of a new creation of what God has done internally in our lives. And like believers today, Israel experienced a baptism. 
right? That they were enslaved to Egypt. They, walked, they had a journey through water, which gave them new birth on the other side and left their enemies behind. It's a beautiful picture we see in the Old Testament of what baptism is. And so it says, man, you were baptized in the sea. You were baptized through Moses. And so we see that they got direction from the cloud. They got protection by the parting of the Red Sea. And lastly, they got provision as well. And that's one of their privileges. It says that they, they, ate, they all ate the same spiritual food and they drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. It tells us in the Old Testament that as they were wandering in the wilderness, and man, it's hard to find food out there, man. I'm glad I, that wasn't me because I'm not like a, I'm not real good at just like going and gathering stuff myself. And so every morning they woke up and God had given them the food that they needed and, and it was manna from heaven. We don't know exactly what it was. It was a spiritual food that they were given. And so this manna fell from heaven and it tells us in the wilderness it's hard to find water, especially for all the millions of people that they had. And so water came from the rock. I mean, these were miraculous food sources that they had while they were out there. And it tells us at the end there, and that rock was Christ. Christ was the one who was providing for them in the wilderness. So we see the privileges of freedom that the Israelites had. These privileges that, that, man, they got off to a great start. By belonging to God, the Israelites experienced freedom from slavery. They experienced baptism. They experienced the Spirit guiding them. They experienced provision for all that they needed. That's what Paul's saying. Hey, look back on the Israelites. They got all of these privileges from God. And now he's comparing that. He's drawing that comparison to the, the believer there in Corinth. And let me hear, hear me today. He's drawing that comparison to you today if you're a believer as well. All the privileges that the Israelites received, you receive. If you are a believer in here today, you have freedom from your sin. You've been brought out of sin. You have baptism as a symbol of your salvation. Just like they did as they passed through the Red Sea. You have the Holy Spirit living with inside of you that guides you every day like the cloud. And you have provision, the provision and promises of God found in his word like manna from heaven. We have every privilege that the Israelites had. And that's what Paul's doing. He's drawing this comparison now that we have privileges from belonging to God. They were just like they were and we are just like they were as well. But now in the next verse, and this is, I started with the idea of the boy who cried wolf. This is where we see Paul kind of turn and where he kind of twists the knife in right there. Because all this sounded great, the first four verses, right? Man, you got freedom from slavery. You got the cloud. You got the food. You got everything you need. You got the privileges of belonging to God. This is where he kind of turns the knife right here. Look at verse 5 with me. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them since they were struck down in the wilderness. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Point number two today is the problem of an unhealthy heart. The problem of an unhealthy heart. We saw the privileges of belonging to God as privileged. Now we see the problem of an unhealthy heart. Say problem. The problem of an unhealthy heart. It tells us there that he was not pleased with most of them. So they were struck down in the wilderness. Verse 6, now these things took place as examples for us so that we will not desire evil things like they did. We see this term that, man, he provided these things for me. If you look back in your, ver in your Bible, up in the section, uh, uh, in the first four verses, it says, hey, I don't want you to be unaware. All were under the cloud. All passed through the sea. All were baptized. All ate the spiritual food. All ate the spiritual drink. Now, he was not pleased with most of them. You see, they all had the privileges of belonging to God, but he was not pleased with most of them because they desired evil things. And so as I read this and studied this, I said, man, why? let's answer that question. Why was he not pleased with most of them? 
men? Why was he not pleased with most of them? He, he begins to pick out different things, different portions of the wilderness wandering to show where the people of Israel, where the Israelites had squandered their freedom. You see, you were given these privileges and you squandered your freedom. And it says they're an example to us. You see, they had all the privileges. They had all the freedoms just like you have. And let's look at their example so that we don't copy their behavior because God was not pleased with most of them. So what's the first thing? If I was to answer today from this text, if he was not pleased with most of them, why is that the case? The first is this, idolatry. We see it in the text here. The first reason he was not pleased with most of them was idolatry. Look at verse 7. It says, don't become idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat or drink and got up to party. You see, we see in Exodus 32, if you were to turn your Bible back there. In Exodus 32, at the beginning of this wilderness journey, Moses, he is up on the mountain receiving the Ten Commandments, spending time with God. But at the bottom of the mountain, Aaron is there, and they, they form a golden calf. And it tells us they begin to eat and drink and party. And what's kind of funny is it says they ate and drink in the presence of this idol in Exodus. And the, where this whole portion of Scripture begins in 1 Corinthians is dealing with idol food. And so he's drawing a comparison here. And so he's telling them, hey, look, you were given all this freedom by God, but yet you worship other gods. You place other things before God, and you're, you're guilty of idolatry, and you deserve judgment because of your idolatry. And most of us under, understand that today. The second thing, why God was not pleased with them, is, is sexual immorality, it tells us. Verse 8, let us not commit sexual immorality as most of them did. And in a single day, 23,000 people died. See, this is towards the end of the wilderness journey. In Numbers 25, uh, we see that the men of Israel, they begin to have sexual relations with the Moabite women. And not only do they enter into relations with these women, but they begin to take on their systems of worship as well. And so they are unfaithful to God and commit sexual immorality. We saw Paul address this already when we went through the series Real Life Relationship uh, about a month ago. And he addressed sexual immorality within the church. And so we know that God's anger, it told us, told us there back in Numbers, that God's anger burned against them and they received divine judgment because of their sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is a big deal. Idolatry is a big deal. And such a big deal that it said in a single day, 23,000 of them died. I, I want you to register with that real quick. If you know, I, I, I looked this up, and, um, but here in West Monroe, we have about 13,000 people that live here, Okay. So 23,000 people died in a single day. So we're all gone. We out of here, right? We're out of here, and then we got to grab some other areas. Maybe Calhoun comes with us or something like that, right? And so 23,000 gone in a single day. This is a big deal that God does. He takes this really serious. So idolatry, sexual morality. Number three, it says, verse 9, let us not test Christ as some of them did. Number three is testing Christ. Maybe you're not as familiar with that one. But Paul warns the Corinthians not to put Christ to the test by questioning their life as the Israelites did. That's what some of them did in Numbers 21. It says, Then they set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to bypass the land of Edom. But the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you led us from Egypt to die in the wilderness? There's no bread or water, and we detest the wretched food. But the food, uh, then the Lord sent poisonous snakes, terrible, among the people, and they bit them, so the Israelites died. We see that they began to test the Lord. They began to say, hey, we know you have a plan for us, but man, I, I, I want to do something else. So it tells us, they tested the Lord and they were destroyed by snakes. They questioned God's provision on their life. So we see three sins here. We see three sins, idolatry, sexual immorality, 
and testing Christ. And most of us in here are probably, a lot of us are, are church folk. We, we've been in church a long time. Well, we would agree. If I asked you, hey, is idolatry wrong? You would say? Yes. If I asked you, hey, is sexual immorality wrong? You would say? If I asked you, hey, is testing Christ wrong? You would say? There we go. A little less enthusiastic as we went along there, but we, we get the point. And so we would all say, many of us, hey, yes, these things are big deals. They have consequences. Israel deserved the consequences they had. And there's divine judgment brought on them because God was not pleased with them because they were idolaters and because of sexual immorality, because they tested Christ. But there's one more thing on this list that I want to point out to you. Let's look at it. Verse 10. And don't complain, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroyer. Number four is complaining. How many of you in here have ever complained? Anyone? Let me ask a different question because there's a lot of you raising your hands. How many of y'all have complained this morning? Anyone? There we go. Yeah, maybe part of us. Uh, I've heard a quote that says before, complaining is kind of like bad breath. You notice it when it comes out of someone else's mouth but not your own, right? And so complaining is something that can feel natural to us sometimes. That maybe you say, man, that's just the way I'm made. That's the way people are made. We like to complain a lot, and we, we can minimize that sin compared to other sins, right? Like, yeah, idolatry and sexual morality, and yeah, but complaining, I, I should just, I, I should kind of get better at that, right? That's just that's how God made me. It's my Enneagram type, and so I should, I should just relax, and that, that's just how God made me. It's all, it's all good. But as people who have experienced the privileges of God, point one, we should be thankful people, not complaining people. That's who we are called to be as God's people. That's who the Israelites should have been. They should have been thankful people, not complaining people. In Numbers 11, verses 1 through 2, it says, Now the people began complaining, say complaining. They began complaining openly before the Lord about hardship. When the Lord heard, listen how the Lord responds to their complaining. When the Lord heard, his anger burned and fire from the Lord blazed among them and consumed the outskirts of their camp. You think God takes complaining seriously? And then they even complain, listen, I told you earlier that I'm, as they're on the wilderness journey, that they, they begin to get like miraculous food from heaven. And in the middle of a desert, water for millions of people flows out of a rock. And listen to this in Numbers 11, 4 through 6. I love this word right here. The riffraff. Look at your neighbor say riffraff. <laughs> yeah. Have fun with that. The riffraff among them had a strong craving for other food. The Israelites wept again and said, who will feed us meat? Amen, right? Who will feed us meat? We remember the free fish we ate in Egypt, along with the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There's nothing to look at but this manna. Oh, you know, this food from heaven, right? That's all I have to look at now. The Israelites, they were given so many chances by God. They were given privilege after privilege by God. And even when, when they were given another chance, right, and God would restore their relationship, they would complain again. And there would be a consequence for their complaining. And then they would uh, have a restored relationship. They would complain again to God. The book of Numbers is riddled with complaints of God's people. And it's riddled with the destruction of God's people as well. So how did God feel about their complaining? Listen to this in Numbers 14, verses 27 to 29. This is God. Listen to this. Just soak this in when we talk about complaining. How long must I endure this evil community that keeps complaining about me? I've heard the Israelites' complaints that they make against me. Tell them, as I live, this is the Lord's declaration. I will do to you exactly as I heard you say. 
your corpses will fall in this wilderness. All of you who were registered in the census, the entire number of you 20 years old or more, because you have complained about me. You see, complaining to God speaks of a heart issue that we have. Complaining to God speaks of a heart issue. The definition of complaining, so we're all tracking the same direction today. The definition of complaining that we see here is the repeated voicing of your dissatisfaction over the situation God has placed you in. The constant voicing of dissatisfaction of the situation God has placed you in. There's several reasons we complain in life. Maybe it's self-pity. You want to feel sorry for yourself. You feel like your life is tough and hard, and so you just complain because you want to have this pity party for yourself. Or maybe, don't get me wrong, we understand life is hard, but there's a way that we handle that. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Maybe it's not self-pity, but maybe you want sympathy. You want everyone around you to realize what you're walking through, and you want them to feel sorry for you. You want them to feel bad for you, so you complain so others feel bad for you. Maybe you complain out of anger. You, you are mad over the situation God has you in. You're mad over what you're dealing with, and so you complain about it. Whatever the reason or the motive, complaining always comes from a heart of unbelief and a lack of thankfulness. That's where complaining comes from. Complaining comes from a heart of unbelief and a lack of thankfulness. And so we see the Israelites here that they complained against God and, and man, he, he was angered by that. He was upset by that. He was mad by that because he knows what happens when you complain is you rise yourself up against God. You, you begin to see yourself on an equal level with God and you set yourself as one who is wiser than him. God, I'm complaining to you about this manna from heaven. I want meat. I want the food we had back in Egypt. That was better for me than this food right here. Maybe it's you. God, I wanted that job. Why did you not give me that job? I hate the job I'm in right now. I don't like the boss I work for. God, if you love me, you would give me a different job. God, I don't like being single. Well, why don't you just provide me the person? God, you, you've left me here and I'm lonely. And God, I, I don't like this situation I'm in. God, why don't you find me the, the, the life group? Why don't you find me the people in my life? It seems like everyone's so clicky and everyone, no one loves me and no one's around me. And, and, and you just turn into this person who complains all the time because it's coming from a heart of unbelief of what God can do and a heart of thankfulness of what God has done. That's who we're called to be as believers. There's a quote that says, 10,000 mercies are forgotten in a single, single trifling moment. 10,000 mercies are forgotten in a single trifling moment. The Israelites, they saw the parting of the Red Sea. They saw the covering of the cloud. They saw the fire by night. They, they saw the water from the rock. They saw the manna from heaven. And yet they complained. A heart of unthankfulness for what God had done. So you may say today, Evan, I don't have any idols. You may say today, Evan, I'm not committing sexual immorality. You may say today, Evan, I'm not testing Jesus. Great for you, but are you complaining? <laughs> Do you complain in your life? You see, God's people were given the privileges of belonging to God, yet they still complained. They had freedom, yet they had an unhealthy heart with that freedom. See, we may be tempted to think, how foolish were the Israelites? You ever heard that if you've sat in life group or Sunday school or different things throughout your life a long time? Sometimes you may hear the, the refrain of how foolish the Israelites were, right? 
that God provided for them so much, and yet they kept messing up, and then they would get punished, and then God would restore their relationship, and then they would mess up again. And how foolish those Israelites must have been. They kept sinning, they kept disobeying God. Now, we would never be like the Israelites. We would never do what they did. Not so fast. Look at verse 11, what Paul says. It says, these things happened to them as examples. And they were written for our instruction on whom the ends of the ages have come. You see, he's giving us this as examples to us today. We do these very same things that the Israelites did. But hear me today, it's worse than the Israelites. Why can I say it's worse than the Israelites? Because we have the example of the Israelites to look back on. The Israelites didn't have an Israelites before them to look back on. We can look at them. We can look at the example of how they squandered their freedom, how they wasted the privileges of belonging to God, how they complained, how they made idols, how they were sexually immoral people. And we'd say we'd never be like that, but then we do the same things in our life today. So he's issuing this warning to them. Remember, I started with that idea. This is a warning to them of, hey, don't do what they did. Don't have an unhealthy heart with the freedom that God has given you. But then what I love about the Bible and about this text is then we see it followed up with a great promise. And that's where we're going to end today. Point number three is this, the promise of a faithful God. Say promise. The promise of a faithful God. We see this in verses 11 through 13. Look at me, though, with verse 12. It says, so whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. This is a good verse to, just to have uh, in your life, man, on, on your cell phone, on your mirror, whatever it is. Whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. If you remember at the beginning of the study of this book of 1 Corinthians, the, the church in Corinth, the believers there, they, they, they battled with a lot of pride, a lot of arrogance of thinking they knew what was best. And this is a natural temptation in life for all of us. I know for me, this is one of the, the things I, I battle with in life the most is pride and arrogance. And so there's a natural temptation when we experience the privilege and the blessing of God, we can easily grow overconfident, right? When things are good, we can easily grow overconfident in those things. And so that's what we see here. Um, and so we can say, hey, I would never do as the Israelites did. I would never be like them. And he's saying, hey, don't be so foolish, church. And I'm telling you today, like Paul told the church in Corinth, I'm telling you today, don't be so foolish that you won't do what they did. So maybe you don't have idols. Maybe, maybe you do, maybe you don't. Maybe you don't, you're not sexually immoral. But do you complain? Do you see yourself in these lists of, man, you've given, as a believer, the privileges of God that you've squandered that freedom? You see, it's great to have confidence. It's great to have confidence, but it's misplaced if it's all self-confidence. It's great for us to have confidence as believers. We, should, we shouldn't walk around like a defeated people. We should walk around with confidence. We should have our shoulders up, our chin up. We should be uh, people who walk and, and show confidence in life. But it should not be all self-confidence. You see, God is the one who provided your freedom. Don't have too much confidence in yourself. You see, the, the Israelites weren't the one who parted the Red Sea. The Israelites weren't the one who made the manna fall from heaven. The Israelites weren't the one who opened up the rock and the water came out. And so, but they had confidence in themselves that they wouldn't receive divine judgment even in the midst of their complaining and, and, more, and their idolatry and sexual morality. And so don't have too much confidence in yourself today. Though you've been given, if you're a believer in here, the privileges of belonging to God. You have the spirit dwelling within you. You, you have your church family. You have baptism. You have all of these things. You have freedom from slavery. But be careful. Don't fall 
Don't have an unhealthy heart as Israel did, or you find yourself, as our man idea said, facing significant consequences. You see, we saw a moment ago the significant consequences for Israel were that only two got to enter into the promised land. The rest fell dead in the desert. These two entered in because of the faith that they had. They weren't confident in themselves. They were confident in, the God, in their God. And so they got to enter in the promised land. For today for us, what does it mean to have severe consequences, significant consequences? Well, we saw this in the last chapter, man. Run your race in such a way that you're not disqualified. You see, just because you belong to God, you can be disqualified from him using you. And so run your race in such a way with discipline, with a healthy heart, that you're not disqualified. And then the next verse, we see a beautiful promise and reassurance here. Look at verse 13 as we close out today. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. Hear me, church. Temptation is a routine part of life. Temptation is something that every single one of us face. And if we're really honest with each other, if we sat down in front of each other one-on-one today and we really opened up, I think we could say that our desire to sin can sometimes feel so much more powerful than our desire to please God. And it's hard for us as the temptation comes upon us. And we all have what I call in here, we all have our favorite sin, the, the, the area in which the enemy wants to attack us the most because he knows we're most vulnerable to that sin. And so it can be hard to turn away from that temptation. And in times, it can feel impossible. Man, I don't know what that is for you. Maybe it's some of the ones we hit on today. Maybe it is uh, you're not following God's plan for sexuality with your life. Maybe it is that you complain often, you question God's plan and God's situation he has you in in life. I, I don't know, maybe, maybe you lie and you struggle not to lie. Maybe you deal with substance abuse. I don't know what it is that you struggle with in here, but it can, there could can be those moments where our temptation feels so overwhelming and overbearing for us that we can't get out of it. But we see this great promise here. When we ask ourselves the question, what if I can't resist it? What if it's too much for me? In response to that, Paul offers this promise. Overcoming any temptation is entirely possible because God is faithful. Every, overcoming any temptation is entirely possible. We hear this in the Lord's, uh, the Lord's prayer, right? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We see the same promise that uh, Paul's kind of working off of it here. He, he points out that, hey, um, lead us not into temptation, that God's not going to lead you somewhere to be tempted. He, he gives you that promise. He's not going to take you somewhere that's going to be too much for you to handle. I also want you to know, and this is great, and coming off a of men's retreat today, it says, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. Man, the, he's pointing out here that our desire to sin is common to mankind. And what the enemy wants to do to us is isolate us, to think that we're the only one who struggles with this, the only one who deals with this. And he is winning the victory when we're in that moment and we're by ourselves. And so, that, man, there's no desire, there's no temptation that's uncommon to man. And so all of us struggle with it. That's why we need community. That's why we need men to hold us accountable. We need our families to hold us accountable. We need our church family. And so, man, you're not in this alone. There's nothing uncommon that just only you deal with. But second and most importantly, we see here that our God is still for us. He loves us. He is not a God. Hear me today. Please hear this. He is not a God who is waiting on us to fail. 
He is a God that loves you and longs for a relationship with you and wants to see you live a life that is best for you. Every rule and command that exists in here is for your benefit. He is not a God who just makes up stuff so you have to try to follow all his rules and he's waiting to watch you, to, to slap you on the wrist when you mess up. That's not the kind of God he is. That's not the kind of father he is. He is a father that loves you. And, and through the power of his Holy Spirit living with inside of you, you can respond to any temptation. And it tells you here that he will give you a way out of it. So man, when, when that temptation, whatever it is, is feeling too much, it, you have a promise in scripture here that he will give you a way out of it. Maybe that's a brother, maybe that's the spirits, like whatever it is. Sometimes we actually just have to flee. But he promises, God promises that our temptation will never be stronger than he is. That is a great promise for us today. So remember at the end of chapter 9, Paul told them to run the race in such a way to not be disqualified. Israel, they had a great start to their race. <laughs> the, the beginning of their race, man, they, they took out, they took off. They, they go through the Red Sea. Like, Look at what we're doing. We're going through the Red Sea, right? They're getting manna from heaven. They're leaving the Egyptians behind. They're getting water from the rock. They had a great start to their race. But we see here in what Paul's saying that a good start doesn't guarantee a great finish. A good start to your race doesn't guarantee a great finish. Believer today, if you're in this room today and you're hearing this and you're a believer, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, God has given you great freedom. He's given you great spiritual freedom. He has delivered you from the sl your slavery to sin. Hear me today, what Paul is saying, don't squander your freedom. Don't waste the freedom that Jesus has given you because freedom with an unhealthy heart has significant consequences. Also today, I want to address, that was to the believer, and Paul is writing this today to the church in Corinth to believers, but there may be some in this room. I know there's some in this room today that as I talk about these privileges of belonging to God, you've never felt those. You, you, you've never felt what it meant to, to, to not be a slave to sin. You feel like your sin is weighing you down. You see the consequences all around you. You don't think you can get out of it. And you know what it feels like to be a slave to sin. You see, maybe your life is marked by complaining, constant complaining and questioning. Maybe it's more by grumbling. Maybe it's marked by you thinking constantly that you know better than God. Maybe you're marked, your life is marked by sexual immorality. I don't know your life. But could I tell you this? I know this today, that there's a better way than being a slave to sin. There's a way that, that, that is better than any of that. Just as the Israelites, they walked through the Red Sea and they left their slavery behind, today you can place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and walk out of your slavery. That, that sin can no, it no longer has a hold on you and you don't feel its weight anymore because you know there is a God who loves you and has a perfect plan for you. We see today that we should not squander our freedom. And when we are given freedom, if you're a believer in God, we, can, we have to have a healthy heart because if not, we will face significant consequences. I ask that you would bow your head with me today as we close this time out. I addressed two different kinds of people in the room a moment ago. The first I addressed was for the believer, for the person who has placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You know if that's you in this room. I, I would encourage you today, as you've heard this message, Paul is issuing you a warning. He is telling you, hey, don't squander your freedom. He, he, he is saying, hey, you've been given these privileges by God for belonging to him, but an unhealthy heart can throw it all away. 
you face significant consequences if you have an unhealthy heart. Would you evaluate your heart today, believer? Would you look and say, man, am I squandering the freedom that God's given me? Just like he was asking the church in Corinth to do, let me look at the example of the Israelites. They placed other gods before him. They didn't follow God's plan for sexuality. They questioned God's plan for their life. They complained and grumbled. Is my life marked by those things? Is my life marked by sin? Is my life marked by an unhealthy heart? What I want to tell you today is, man, you can lay that down. Again, you don't have a God who's looking to get onto you. You have a God and a Father who's looking to forgive you and restore your relationship with Him. So evaluate your heart today. Is it healthy? But I addressed a second group of people in the room, and um, if you're in here today and you would say, man, I've never placed my faith and trust in Jesus. I don't know what you mean when you talk about walking out of slavery. I don't know what you mean when you talk about being free from sin and having a way out because it seems like sin is just all I know. It seems like weight is all I know. It seems like bad decisions is all I know. It seems like consequences is all I know. But Evan, I hear you tell me that there's a better way, and there is, and his name is Jesus. You see, Jesus loves you. Jesus died on a cross to save you from that sin so you could experience freedom from that sin. And we heard earlier as Hunter was reading the Bible verses, he, he tells us simply what to do is we must repent of our sin to say, hey, those things I was doing before, I know they're not good for me. I, I know I don't know the best way to live my life. And God, I'm going to follow the way that you've called me to live and I'm going to follow you, Jesus, in your example. That's called repentance. Say, I'm not going to live my way, but I'm going to live your way. So if you're in this room today and, and you know the weight of sin, you know what it feels like to be a slave to sin. You know what it feels like to, to feel this weight of an unhealthy heart. And you say today, man, I want to walk through the Red Sea. You say today, I want to experience freedom. I want to know him. Man, we would love to talk to you about that. I'm going to ask you to do something right in this moment as everyone's heads are um, bowed and their eyes are closed. I, I truly believe this, that we, we, our walk with God is, it, uh, it, it is something that we should be proud of. And so if we mean it, we mention it. And so I'm not going to have you stand. I'm not going to have you walk to the front. I'm not going to have you do any of those things. But I, I'm going to ask just so I can pray for you that you would raise your hand here in a moment. If you would say, man, I'm in this room and I want to surrender my life to Jesus because I know my way is not working and my way is sin and my way leads to death, but I want to follow Jesus with my life. I want to know him with all of it. I would ask that you just raise your hand. So if that's you and you want to surrender your life to Jesus today, you say, I, I want to leave sin behind. I want to walk through into freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. Right now, if you would raise your hand around the room. I see you. I see you. Amen. Again, I told you I wasn't going to make you get up or anything, but if you raise your hand today right after this, I would ask that you go right down here, down front. I'll be here to talk to you. You could head to our connect room. We'll have a pastor that I would love to connect with you as well. If you're in this room and you're a believer and you would say, man, I, I realize the privileges I have of belonging to God, but I, I'm weighed down by the problems of sin. I have an unhealthy heart. And Evan, today I need to repent from my unhealthy heart, from complaining. I need to repent from sexual morality, from idolatry, whatever it is for you. I need to repent of that so I don't squander the freedom that God has given me. If you would say that's you, believe that you would ask for prayer today, would you raise your hand so I could pray for you? Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we love you. 
And God, through the teaching of your word today, it was a warning issue to us. And God, I, I pray that we would heed that warning. That you have given us much freedom. You have given us so many privileges in belonging to you. And that God, will we steward those things well? God, will we run the race in such a way that we would not be disqualified? Because your gospel is amazing. Your message is amazing. And for some reason, you allow us to play a part in spreading the gospel. So will we be faithful to it? Will we be thankful people? Not people marked by complaining or grumbling, but people who are marked by thankfulness to you. Be people marked by faith of what you're going to do in our lives and around us, no matter our circumstances and situations. God, we would be people that honor you with a healthy heart so that we would grow the kingdom, advance the kingdom, and see our brothers and sisters grow in wisdom and maturity. God, we love you. We thank you for your word today. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we hope, again, that you were uh, encouraged by what God had to say for you and for your life. I just want to extend an invitation for you today. Maybe today you realize that you need Jesus in your life. Maybe today you just need to take that next step in your spiritual walk, or maybe you've got a spiritual need. And I want you to know that we would love to come alongside you and serve you any way that we can. Feel free to reach out to us at firstwest.cc, or you can call the church, 318-322-5104. And we would love to help you in what God is doing in your life. Have a great day.